All right, here we are with episode 113 of the Florida Trail Runners podcast. And we are jumping into the 2024 Long Haul 100. And for this chat, we've got some Long Haul 100 rookies, you know, the rookies chat. These are some runners, you know, they chose the Long Haul 100 for their first ever 100 miler. And on the chat, we've got Russ Hartzell, Tina Wolf, Daisy Weckerly, and Evie Stangle. You know, Russ, he got it done with a time of 31, 19, 36. Tina, she got it done with a time of 31, 22, 02. Daisy, who is celebrating her 40th birthday, you know, she went 30, 45, 55. And Evie Stangle, Evie, she went 29 flat, 52. You know, they got it done. They got those belt buckles. Such an absolutely amazing performance for that first time 100 mile. And also, you know, huge shout out to Andy and Amy, your race directors, Justin with the timing. And there's so many people that, you know, it's just hard to count all the people who are helping out at the aid stations, even other crews that were helping runners. You know, this community is a blast. I enjoy it. I love it. I always have a good time out at the Long Haul 100, even though I am now in a four in a row DNF streak, but hey, it's fine. That's all right. <laughs> but hey, let's kick it off and hear from those first time 100 mile stories. Look at this guy's 30 seconds. Get those buckles. They want to take home. As our runner started, is Mr. Andrew Barrett. This is Captain of Eight Station 2. He's going to catch you down from five. busy looking at all the um, pictures that just got downloaded from last week and I saw those popped up yeah I was just looking trying to find my trying to find my picture <clears throat> I have a bad habit well maybe not a bad habit but so far the last two uh, long hauls I've been eating food actively eating food when I've gotten my photo taken <laughs> the the pie or the hot dogs or uh what was it the chicken fingers chicken nuggets the nuggets 
Hey, Russ. Hey, how's it going? Good. You hear me okay? Oh, yeah. I can hear you, Russ. It's Tina. Hey, Tina. <laughs> you sound clear. Oh, man. Well, hey, how are y'all feeling since long haul? I've, I'm feeling really good, surprisingly. It's funny that you mentioned how are we feeling. Um, so last week, I did go to the doctor and get my foot x-rayed um, because I was having... Um, severe pain. I could not step on it. I could not put pressure. Um, anything that touched the top of my foot, um, I was in excruciating pain. And being that I've done something like 35 marathons, I know my typical recovery after a marathon. Um, and this was just atypical of me. So um, I did go to the doctor they said that at that time, it didn't look like anything was broken or fractured. Um, but as of yesterday is the first day that I did not have excruciating pain in my foot. So that's a good thing. Um, so I think that I'm finally on the upswing now. All that to say, I am a streaker. And of course, I did not end my streak. I kept running my one mile during all of that. So that just kind of puts it in perspective. Like it was hurting, but not enough that like I stopped running. Well, I mean, when it comes to your feet, there's like 26 different bones. There's four main ligaments and like there's two tendons, I think. So there's a lot of things that can get inflamed. Yes. Yes. If the Tanya Olsen has taught me anything, it's that. <laughs> I did see that you posted about that, about her book and her stuff. And I was like, you know what? I really should get that and like look into more of my, my feet issues. It's an excellent book. It's good to have just, you know, for reference. It is like the little runner's Bible almost. Yes. She needs a smaller version to just put in our crew boxes. For yeah. Our crew box. I'm, feeling, I'm feeling pretty good. Um, I'm forcing myself to take one more week before I do any serious running again. Um, I had been training for this for probably longer than it needed. And um, so I just, I see all these people around us getting hurt. So I don't want to get hurt. So I'm forcing myself to take one more week, but I have been trying to get out and do some power walking, a little bit of light jogging, but I feel pretty good. Actually, it took me a few days to, to be able to get up and down the stairs at the house. But other than that, I'm doing good. <laughs> Yeah, I was definitely doing the skeleton walk for a few days, but I'm, I'm kind of back back moving and grooving. Yeah, my husband was legit having to carry me around the house all last, like, Sunday and Monday. Like, I could not even move without him, like, carrying me. It was, <laughs> it was, it was bad. It was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, before we get into the background and all of that stuff, you know, the one question I do have to ask, the first question, you know, is why? You know, why go for 100 miles? Anyway. Uh, I'll, go, I'll go first. This is Tina. Um, I had just slowly been progressing up through the different distances on ultras. You know, I started with a 50K and just kind of progressed up. Um, and none of those I kept with each distance, I would think, well, that didn't kill me. So maybe I could do go a little bit longer. And so that's that was my thinking. Like the other distances didn't kill me, so I might as well try 100. I'll go next. Uh, this is Evie. And, um, you know, I'm married to Mr. Run Fluent, and he's run multiple hundreds. Um, and I wanted to push, see how far I could push the limits and, uh, you know, 
possibly inspire other people um, that they can do hard things and um, try to motivate people to get their bodies moving. And um, I'm up for a challenge. And so that's why I decided to uh, jump on and do 100 miles. All right, I'll jump in next. Um, so I've done um, a lot of different challenges. And I think for me, it was just that was the next thing on the list. You know, I've done a full Ironman, um, done, you know, 50 miler um, a couple years ago with the, the Keys 50. And I think that it's just one of those things is pushing your limits. Um, I think also, uh, I think over the years, it's, it's part of like a mental and physical test as well, um, as far as like also a spiritual test um, for me. Um, but the, the, the 100 has been on my list um, for several years. I was going to do um, Jackpot 100 when we lived in Vegas. Uh, we lived there for a couple years, and that's a local 100-mile race out there. And um, COVID kind of uh, got in the way of that. And then when we moved back uh, to Florida, uh, Long Haul was one that I had paced uh, my friend uh, Mark Palomar several times at. And so it was just very convenient to pick long haul because it was a local race. You can you know, sleep in your own bed. You're not having to pay for traveling. Uh, my family could be there, um, so on and so forth. So um, it's definitely been on my radar for a while to do long haul and to do the 100 um, just as that next step in um, challenging myself um, to see far how far I can go. I love that, Daisy. I'm just going to – that was Daisy, right? Yes. Okay. I'm going to piggyback off of that a little bit more. Um, I truly loved crewing the past couple of years at Long Haul as well. And just yeah. seeing everybody kind of push the limits and um, be out there all day, all night. Um, I wanted mm -hmm. to be part of that too. I wanted to also um, run the race versus just crewing. Although yeah. I absolutely love crewing as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same. All right. And for... <coughs> I have a couple of reasons that, you know, I chose long haul one. I couldn't, I knew that long haul was kind of the Florida ultra running communities prom. Everybody that's everybody is there. <laughs> Every, you know, tons of people from the Jacksonville area that I'm around running ultras and just group runs and stuff are there. So I kind of, some of it was self-serving because I kind of just knew all over the course, it'd be lots of people to kind of motivate me, keep me moving. My crew was at the start finish, but then Tina's crew and the other crews at the group camp made sure that I had anything I needed and kept kicking my butt out of the, out of the chair and moving along. Um, and so I just knew that support would be there and I couldn't imagine running anywhere else, but where everyone, where those guys were. And then, you know, for me, the 100-mile distance, really, kind of like Tina said, she worked through the distances, and, you know, never it never killed me. I never really felt like I pushed my limits, and I always refer to myself as a freight train. I'm bigger than a lot of runners, and I always say, I, it takes me a long time to get started, but once I'm started, I'll keep moving. Same, um, same. So the 100-mile was definitely the biggest physical challenge that I, I felt. I mean, all the races, I might have been tired but I never felt like my legs were the reason that I was done. So I wanted, I wanted to get to that point. Yeah. You know, because you're kind of, you've all been kind of alluding to that, like what's next distance, you know, 
What's that background for y'all? You know, before hitting 100 miles, what's that running history? Um, if I can jump in first. Um, so uh, knowing that I was going to do long haul, I signed up right when registration opened last, I think, February 1st. Um, I kind of planned my um, running season and training for 2023 to lead up to long haul. Um, and so another thing that had been on my bucket list was to do um, – I don't know if you guys have heard of mainly marathons. Shout out to my mainly marathon people. Um, they are a race organization that does multi-day events. And so back then October, I did six marathons in six days in six states. And I used that as like a launching point to start my like fall races. Um, so that was 160 miles that I did in six days. And I'm going to tell you that on day five and six were actually some of my fastest marathons. And on day seven, I woke up and I was ready to go run again. And my husband's like, no, we have to go to the airport. We have to fly home. So I was actually, um, I, when I got done with those six states and the 160 miles, I was actually really stoked for long haul. I knew that mentally and physically that I could go the distance, um, so to speak. And then um, I did... Um, another marathon in November in North Carolina, and then I did the Run Fluent 50K in December. Um, I also I don't have to shout out, and um, all of that in preparation for um, long haul. So I think that my training was um, I don't want to say perfect because obviously there's ups and downs, but my my training was really really on point. Um, so I I really enjoyed um, 2023 the lead up to long haul and I just I'm I'm thankful that everything worked out and I was able to finish. I had decided um maybe August or so that I was going to try long haul and kind of like what Russ said I wanted um I knew at long haul there were going to be a lot of people there that I knew and so I would have a lot of support and a lot of people to talk to um out on the course so that was kind of how I chose long haul and then I um you know I just stuck with my training plan and never varied from it and and just trained up until you know the week before so I called Andy right after, actually right before Forgotten Florida. I ran um, Forgotten Florida 50 miler in February of last year. And I called him and I um, kind of asked him about Cold Creek because what I really loved about Long Haul, the original course, is that, you know, you went out and back and you got to see your crew a lot. And yes, um, you yes. Know, that center area. And so I called him and I said, how similar is Colt Creek going to be to this? How many times am I going to see my people? You know, because just like the others said, I really wanted to um, have the people there to support me and lift me up and um, be able to see people and crossing. And um, I really loved that aspect of that course. So I called him and chatted with him. And, you know, we talked about the course a little bit and Obviously, I talked to my husband, Chris, about, you know, whether he thought I could do it or not. And if I had enough time to train and, you know, all those questions. And of course, he was like, absolutely. And so I wanted to give myself the confidence after Forgotten Florida, um, you know, doing that 50 miler and meeting my goal and all that kind of stuff for that race that I said, um, Andy, will you keep a spot for me? Because I want to run Forgotten Florida first before I make a decision decision. And um, he was like, you always have a spot. And so I called him back. 
um, after Forgotten Florida. And I said, I'm in. And so I signed up and then, uh, you know, just kept signing up for, you know, sweat, swat, swear. I ran Trident in July, uh, the 12 hour race and just uh, multiple races leading up um, Wild Florida um, 50, uh, K and, uh, just felt really great with all of my training and, um, and yeah, that's kind of how I led up to, uh, running long haul this past weekend. All right. Well, yeah, I decided I had ran blaze pioneer the December of so 2022 and it was a good event. I enjoyed myself. And then I ran a few more ultras early in the spring. I'm like, well, this year, I want to get my hundred in either this year or early next year. So I planned out my race schedule to accommodate that. So I did wildcat ultras in the over Labor Day weekend, ran 50 miles. Time wasn't great, but I accomplished it. So then I, um, I ran Jack's 50K. For those of you who aren't familiar, it is a very technical course, and it kicked my butt. And so I had to get one more 50-mile run in before long haul. I decided I would run – I ran free to run in Jacksonville, which is basically a 24-hour event in a quarter or a half-mile square around the uh, courthouse. So I ran it as a training event. I got my 50 miles in there, felt good. It was about 50 miles in about 12 hours. So maybe it gave me a little too much confidence going into long haul. Um, but, and then I went down and I, on my own and did a training run at uh, the park. It felt great. I mean, that course, I would love to run that course when it wasn't rainy and muddy and uh, got the long haul and, the training seemed to have worked. Um, my coach had to say about a billion times to trust the process, trust the process, but I got there. So, Yeah, that's the big thing is just trust the process and go for it. All right. I also forgot one more thing. The reason why I did long haul this year was because it was on my 40th birthday. Oh, so yeah. I forgot. I forgot. That was one of the big reasons why I pulled the trigger. <laughs> So, and technically, I turned 40 the day before on Friday, but still, we're going to say that it was on Saturday, but whatever. But anyways, it was my 40th birthday. So, I was like, what else What else should you do on your 40th birthday but run 100 miles? <laughs> <laughs> the, the longest birthday run. Yeah, yeah. And that's the other thing is, you know, you've mentioned all these other types of races, different distances. You've been mentioning training plans and stuff like that, you know, come – so coming into 100 miles, did you change the way you trained for this? So I do not follow a training plan. Don't tell, don't tell any of the coaches out there. Um, <laughs> I've just been running for long enough that I kind of know, hey, I need to amp my miles up. Um, I am one that I do keep a pretty low base during the week. Um, I'm just kind of one that in over the years I have found that I can overtrain and that can lead to some injuries and stuff. So I keep it pretty easy um, as far as like my my weekly miles. I do do a lot of walking um, as far as like cross training. Um, but I just know I need to start amping up my miles and then, hey, let's sign up for a marathon. Let's do a 50K. So I kind of have those benchmarks leading up to this. Um, but that's kind of how I went as far as my training. So my training um, 
the only thing different was I did a, extra marathons leading up to long haul. I knew that I would have to have a training plan um, because I'm one, I like to check off the boxes. So I, I also know that if I don't have a training plan, um, I'll tend to get kind of lazy about things like, oh, I'll do that tomorrow instead of today. So I knew that I was going to need a, a specific training plan to keep me on track. And so I followed it and didn't vary from it at all. And um, I do run, walk. I do intervals. I use a gym boss timer. And I knew that, um, you know, to be able to finish 100 miles, I was going to have to start out slow and just stay slow. That was that was my strategy. Okay. Um, and so I just did um, a run, walk right from the beginning. And yep. Yeah, it worked well for me. You know, with um, I'm a little bit older than the rest of you, so I know that to prevent injury, you know, I've got to um, I got to do the run walks. Yeah, and I have to say, afterwards, I have felt really um, I felt so much better after than I thought. I took an extra day off work because I thought I might not be able to walk or something, but um, I have felt really good. So I think the run the run walk works well for me. There was a lot of people using the gym boss timers. Those timers were going off. Yes. The whole 30 some hours <laughs> yeah. I was out there. A yeah, lot that's of what run I walks. 31 hours. You heard my gym boss yes. going off. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I used I used run walk. I used run walk as well. Um for for several reasons. One is when I'm training in the middle of the summer here in Florida, there's absolutely no chance of me running steady. Yes. Um, two, I do think that as a bigger runner that the run walk helps me stay um, healthy and not experience the leg issues and stuff that a lot of people seem to, to struggle with. So the, the run walk really, really was a big player for me. And I, similar to Tina, I, I started out slow. I, I walked about the first four miles or so before I ever took a step to run because I was power walking at about my what my running pace needed to be for my goal, so um, figured there was no point in running quite yet. And I have the tendency to get on the start line. Remember, I'm not 20 anymore, and want to take off and run like I can run with the big boys and girls, and I can't. So, um, starting in the back and walking those miles was really helpful um, for me. Was really helpful for me, anyway. So. And then I do follow a training plan. I have to follow a training plan. I'm too type A. I'm a project manager by trade. So all we do is follow plans and check boxes and enjoy that part of the process as much as anything. Um, I did have a coach from September through the race. Um, I guess being vulnerable, I was uh, struggling with some depression issues in December. Um, so a coach reached out to me that knows me and was like, Hey, let me help you. So they, they helped me with a plan and kind of checking up on me. And, um, it really helped. And like Tina, I felt much better, uh, than I thought I would at the end of the, the hundred miles. And actually my last loop was my second fastest time of the whole hundred miles. So, um, Ooh. I actually was still, I was running pretty good at that last, that last loop. So I, not super fast, but I was like 440, 445 range for that last loop. So, I was feeling pretty good. 
So I did follow a uh, training program that my husband put together for me, Mr. Renfluent. And, um, you know, we have that saying as well, trust the process and you hire a coach, not that you have to hire him, but, you know, to take out the thinking of what you have to do to plan and prepare for a big race like this. Um, you know, he scheduled me power walks. He scheduled me four ones. He scheduled, you know, long distances. Uh, we didn't really, um, stack on the miles because a lot of injuries happen when you put so many miles on. So we don't really focus on, um, you know, really pushing the miles to the limits. Um, but I felt really prepared for the race and uh, really um, <clears throat> had some big goals for the race as well. But obviously the terrain had other things. Um, and I ran the uh, first lap and then I went to a run walk as well, uh, just like everyone else. Uh, and that kind of happened until probably about lap four, five-ish. Um, and, you know, like everybody here knows, the uh, the terrain was definitely taxing on our bodies. So, um, so that kind of changed from different time intervals uh, each lap that I went out. I can't believe we've gone 25 minutes and not said the M word yet. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's coming. Because <laughs> you know, yeah, because the run walk thing, you know, that's one thing I noticed. Just like last year, that was a huge thing for this new long haul course. You know, there's 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 just a lot of repetition, that same gait, that same stride over and over again. And I know, even for myself on the course, I think Paul Gibbs and I were running in. Uh, we were behind Bob Becker and we kept hearing his thing go beep. And so we were just kind of like trailing Bob Becker. So we'll just, uh, we'll just, we'll just go off his beeper for a little bit. <laughs> Bob was looking really solid, but then I was really surprised to see that he got a DNF. Yeah. That's probably where the M word came into play. Yes. Yes. Maybe that's... potentially. <laughs> and he's the most consistent runner I think I saw the whole day. Like as far as every time I saw him, he was moving the same pace. Yes. Same consistency. So I was surprised as well. Now part of these hundred milers, which sometimes they could be hard with training, you know, is the fact that you're gonna run overnight. You have to get comfortable with running at those late hours, kind of limited visibility. You know, did you have a way to prepare for that overnight that you know that night running section? I did a lot of my training runs at night um, just because of my work schedule. I was either running really early in the morning before it was light or a lot of times just late at night. Now, it wasn't on the trail usually. It was just, you know, like on a bike path. So I, I didn't really, I didn't do any overnight runs, though, as part of my training. So, yeah, I, I did a few overnight runs, um, free to run. The event that I was talking about, it started at like 5 o'clock in the evening. So I ran the 12 hours overnight specifically for the purpose of seeing how I would feel getting through the night. Um, I'm not, I wasn't overly worried about the night just, well, Joe, you can relate up my military background kind of, I've done a lot of the overnight late night type stuff. So keeping moving when you're tired, that part wasn't too concerning for me, but I did do some night runs. And the nice thing about really this time of year is, it gets dark so early that you really can get some dark running in at like six, seven o'clock in the evening. So right, right. I did a lot of evening runs that where 
I'd run in the dark, mostly because honestly, it took me a while to get used to running with a headlamp and not getting nauseous from the movement of the headlamp back to forth. So I did also do um what's the skunk <laughs> ape? What's the skunk ape you have in the summer, the night run? Oh yeah, skunk ape night run. Sk yeah, I did skunk ape night run this last summer. Once again, I know that it was way too far out to be considered quote unquote training. Um, but I mean like I mean, there you go. It just more time is like in the dark, on trails, using your headlamp, all of that um, is just all practice. But I think um, for me, the night is more of a mental battle, right? Um, so you could do all the preparing that you want to do, but like when it comes down to it, it's a mental battle. Um, and so I think for one thing, me, I'm just a night owl. So I actually didn't really struggle during the night um, very much. Um, and then, you know, then obviously then it became like a countdown, like, okay, three more hours and the sun's going to come up. Two more hours and the sun's going to come up. Okay, that kind of a thing. So, Yeah, and I don't know if anything fully prepares you for running through the night. Um, yeah. I'm not going to lie. There were three different occasions where I slept right on the side of the trail, laying in the grass or the ditch, so, and had my pacer on watch. So um, <laughs> I definitely got found some rest out there on the trail. So so for my training, I did two a days um, because obviously we're running at multiple times of the day, different times of the day. And, um, you know, on full bellies, empty bellies, things like that. So I would run in the morning, uh, certain distances, whatever was programmed. And then again, at night, the same distance and kind of compare the numbers and stuff like that. Um, and practice with fuel. Um, so that's kind of how I prepared for the night. I was planning on going out to Colt Creek. I was out there for the first training day and doing two laps, but I had uh, the flu the week prior. So I wasn't feeling the best. So I only got one lap in just because my heart rate was so high and stuff. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I trained a little bit at night. Um, but I like, like you guys said, I don't think there's really um, enough training that you can do that's going to really help you at nighttime being in race mode. So many times I've, you know, listened to podcasts and people say, Oh, when you're running these overnight races, once that sun comes up, you get this burst of energy. Um, that did not happen with me. <laughs> I did not get a burst of energy when the sun came up. Not at all. So that that is a myth, I think. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, but, you know, I think Daisy brought up a good point. And it's like, yeah, you could pr prepare your body so many ways, right? But, like, how do you mentally prepare to go 100 miles? Or is it just something that, like, yeah, you, you know you did the training, so you didn't really think about it? I felt like I really leaned on my training and just um, knowing that my husband said that I was ready for it. Um, and just looking at other stats and just um, kind of listening to uh, different podcasts and just getting motivated and ready um, I kind of unplugged on the Wednesday before to really like focus on, you know, the task at hand because I was so busy leading up. I really didn't have, um, you know, the time to think about it, which is probably good. Um, but I definitely uh, tried to focus and prepare uh, my mind. Um, I feel like I'm pretty tough and I really don't throw in the towel or quit um, unless I guess I'm dying. Um, so I... Um, 
you know, mentally, I guess I definitely pray a lot. I, um, I prayed a lot that night. <laughs> I talked to God all night long and I uh, just wanted him to give me the strength. I had a verse that um, I kept with me. Also, my word of the year is perseverance. And uh, it kind of went along with the uh, Long Haul 100, one of the reasons why I picked it. But, um, you know, just with those and just knowing that God was going to give me the strength to pass or to cross that finish line was um, everything that I needed. Um, and I know that he gave me that strength. Well, and also just to kind of piggyback off of that, I had a lot of my friends praying for me um, mm -hmm. and also texting me. Um, now, I wasn't responding to them. I went I went radio silent for those 31 hours. Um, but I got I had a lot of people texting me saying that they were praying for me and encouraging me, even though they couldn't be out there. Um, and I know that that definitely helped um, throughout the night. Um, I kind of also forgot that because I've done pacing and crewing so many times in the past for other 100 milers, that that is really good practice for staying up through the night and like that night running. So I forgot to mention that, that if it's always really good to go out and pace some other people or crew them um, before you do your first 100 miler. Great point. Some of my training runs, I felt, um, really helped me prepare for some of the mental toughness part of it because um, a couple of my training runs were, you know, I had, you know, maybe a, a long run scheduled on a day that it was just, you know, raining sideways and windy. And I still, you know, got out there and did it. Or a day that I had a triple run planned, you know, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and one in the evening. Um, you know, that last run, you just don't want to go out there and do it, but I did. Um, and so I just kept telling myself, this is what I need. You know, you've got to do hard things because mm -hmm. this hundred's going to be hard. And so I, I do think that helped. Some of those very uncomfortable training runs were very beneficial. I also think to a certain extent, for some of us, we've had maybe a, a tougher backstory, um, so when you think about running 100 miles, you're like, dude, I got that. I've gone through X, Y, and Z in my life, and I've made it through it this far. Like, I got the mental toughness that I can get through 100 miles. So um, mentally, the whole race, I never felt like I was going to have to pull the plug, even with going through so much, I'm going to say the word, going through so much mud. <laughs> I never, I never questioned um, the ability to finish. I yeah, never felt, yeah, I never felt like I couldn't finish. There wasn't a point in the race that I thought I wasn't going to finish. There were times when I really wanted that mud to be over. Like, yes, I am. I really want this part to be over, but I didn't think I, I would quit. Yeah. At one point in the race, my pacers dropped. I had no pacers. So I actually went through, I called it the long loop for those of you that, that long loop when you're leaving campground and you're going to head out to Barrett's Boots and Saddles uh, aid station. And then you come back into the main um, start finish line. So that whole section there, I called that the long loop. I did that long loop all by myself, no pacers, no partners, no nothing. I did that twice. And it was the last two loops. It was five and six. And so there was a, there was some pity crying, like, I got to go do the mud all by myself. 
Um, <laughs> but it was never a thing of like, oh, I'm going to drop. Oh, my quit. I, I can't do it. But just I got to go do it by myself in the dark alone. And it sucks. And do I really have to do the mud again? <laughs> yes, I do. I got to go do it two more times. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that mud, <laughs> as you got close to Boots and uh, the Boots Aid Station, just got thicker and gnarlier oh. and nastier. And um, it was it just trudged on. I lost my shoes a couple times. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I will say... The sixth time, the my last loop, because the day it was daylight. So by the time I got to the mud, the sixth time, I actually went through that section faster than my fifth loop, because the fifth loop, it was the darkest of the morning. It was, you know, like I say, like we'll say like around four in the morning, five in the morning. Um, I didn't have any pacers. I didn't have any partners. I have a really terrible lamp, headlamp, light. And it was the coldest and all the things. So that loop, number five, um, for me personally, was the worst going through the mud. Same with me, Daisy. That fifth loop was was by far my least favorite yes. of all. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you know, I guess kind of coming into race week, you know, you've got this big race coming. You've got 100 miles, you know. Take me into that race week, you know. How did those couple days out, you know, how did those those days outfeel you know what's going through your mind on race week well I was working all week up until I took Friday off um so I was you know uh tapering a little bit you know not running a lot of miles but also at work I was super busy at work trying to get everything ready because I was taking Friday Monday and Tuesday off so um that just kind of took up most of my time I didn't have any time to get nervous about it or worry about it, it you know, prepping a little bit each night to get ready. So we had nine run fluent um, running this race and five of us, it was our first time running a hundred miles. Um, and seeing how a lot of people came from out of state, we actually had to prepare for everyone. Uh, we had people shipping things to our house. We rented a U-Haul um, for nine of us. We had a big 20 foot tent and two 10 by 10s or 12 by 10s, whatever they are. Um, and so we were just really preparing not only just for me, but for, um, you know, poor Chris, he had his wife and he had his brother running, um, first time ever a hundred mile race. So, um, you know, he was super stressed and really wanting his athletes to do well. Um, and then, you know, just prepping for everyone, setting up team dinners and, uh, picking up people from the airports, organizing the hotels, um, and, you know, getting one, getting everyone from here to there, coordinating when we're going to meet, setting up the tents. And we actually got there first to set up all the tents and things. So, um, it was a lot of moving parts, um, just because we had so many clients coming into town and, um, we wanted them to have, um, uh, everything that they needed as well. We had everyone fill out like their race plan. I laminated them and had them on the tables. We organized pacers for everyone to have uh, two pacers. So we leaned on our run club people that have never done it before. Um, and we had pacers and crew out there for everyone. So we had to kind of give them the, the rundown of how to pace, how to crew. 
Um, and now they're, they're inspired to come out and, and run some miles and maybe push the limits as well, which is really awesome. And they just um, have never been a part of a community like ours. And I know that everybody can speak to our community just being so awesome. Um, so just having them out there experiencing that and being out there. Um, I had my neighbor, um, he comes to our run club. He came out and paced and he came and knocked on my door and he had me in tears because he was like, like, you know, I'm so proud of everyone and I can't believe like how much everybody loves each other and um, just looks out for each other once everyone, you know, um, their best out there and cheering on each other, you know, passing and passing, telling everybody good job, keep it up, all that kind of stuff, because he's never been a part of that. So pretty awesome to be able to share that with others. So leading up, it was a lot for us, because um, we had a lot of moving parts and stuff, but it all came together because eight of the nine crossed the finish line and the ninth one, he hurt his ankle. So um, hopefully he'll come back and, and crush it next year. So, so yeah, that was us. Yeah, for me, the race week, um, I did work all week except for Friday. I did take Friday off. I'm an overthinker from way back. So <laughs> I, spent, I spent a lot of time when I putting together books for each of my pacers and my crew. Um, I put these little workbooks together that have like, that are all laminated, that have like where everything goes in my, it has a picture of my race vest and with arrows pointing to where everything goes in what pockets and pacing charts and maps and all sorts of stuff. So I overthink it, but it helps me deal with my anxiety a little bit around races and other things to have it well thought out, whether I actually listen to it or not. Um, so that kind of usually helps take my mind off and I don't get the taper crazies quite as bad. So that uh, that's pretty much what I stuck to during race week, just making sure. And, I made a point to make sure that I basically overhydrate the race week. Hydration and fueling is definitely the weak part of my game um, when it comes to running. So I have to make an extra point to do those correctly the week leading into the race. So my experience the week before long haul is probably completely different than all your guys's. <laughs> I got to kind of chuckle at it now. So, not really thinking smart. We actually planned to start construction in our house on the Monday before long haul. So my house was under construction. Um, I did. I don't have all of those charts and whatever, all that stuff that you guys, I actually have found over the years that some of that actually causes more stress and anxiety for me. So I actually very often do not look at the map of a race. I don't look at the course elevation. I don't look at any of that stuff. Like it just causes more stress for me. So for me, sometimes less is more. Um, but I didn't know it, but my family had been planning for my birthday since it was on Friday, a full day of events for me. So my husband had taken off work and he had reservations. We did like this whole full day of stuff. And then when we got home, I was really exhausted and I hadn't, don't listen to this guys, but I hadn't packed anything yet. <laughs> like, <laughs> at like Friday night. And I was like, well, I need to like throw, start throwing everything in a tub. And I also needed to pack for all of my family because they were going to be camp, quote unquote, you know, car camping for my kids and my husband 
And I knew that in the past, long haul gets really cold. So I, I was pulling out all our winter gear and stuff. Anyways, so I, we pull up into the house and I was like, oh, I need to go get all this stuff. You know, like I want to eat, get to bed early, right? And come to find out there was like 50 people in my house waiting for me for a surprise birthday party that my husband and family had all planned for my birthday. So I really had people at my house until probably I think we started kicking people out around 930. And so then I quickly threw everything in a tub <laughs> and I got like just a couple hours of sleep and, and it was, it all worked out great. I finished, but like my race week was not very typical of what you probably should do for a hundred miles. <laughs> <laughs> but that, but it worked. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> it worked. Think, this is probably why people call me crazy Daisy. Cause I do crazy stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> I will, um, I probably did overpack just because I had heard the stories about the previous year's long haul about how cold it was. And I'm, I mean, I took every bit of cold weather gear that I had. I mean, I could have survived a blizzard. Same. <laughs> yeah. Same. <laughs> yeah. At least this year it didn't get cold. I'm just kidding. I know some people were really cold. <laughs> I never once put on a shirt other than a T swapped out my t-shirt a couple times with short sleeves. And I literally had probably three different aid volunteer or aid station, uh, volunteers offer to get me a shirt, a long sleeve shirt, because they thought I was running like that because I didn't have anything warmer <laughs> and I was still sweating all through the night. That's how hot I guess I run, but, um, they literally were offering me shirts cause they thought I had to have been cold. <laughs> and I was not cold one bit. <laughs> you got to hand it to the aid stations for trying to look out for you, though. Oh, absolutely. I can tell you, they, they, I don't know if there was anything, they any group length they wouldn't have went to to help you finish because <laughs> they were all outstanding. I can tell you that much. Meanwhile, Evie, Evie, she was like in her full on parka. I loved that. <laughs> <laughs> I am not going to lie. Um, my worst lap was the tail end of the third one because I should have changed my clothes going out. I should have put all of my cold gear on. I am a person who absolutely hates being cold. That's why I don't live in Ohio anymore. Um, and I live in Florida and it's not so supposed to be this cold here in Florida. Um, but I absolutely hate being cold. And one of my pacers, Gus, gave me his yellow jacket. And I wore that yellow jacket the whole entire time. <laughs> my husband used the silver, like, warming, you know, metallic, whatever they are, blankets. I had to take my clothes off. That was my first layer because I was just shivering so bad that I was I was absolutely freezing. Every single time I came in from um, running the six miles of mud and water, I had to change my socks because my feet were so cold. Um, and if I didn't change, you know, I changed both my socks and my shoes sometimes or just my socks because I could not handle my feet being cold. So I was absolutely freezing until I got a shower when I was all done when I got home. Um, so yeah, I was totally opposite. I don't do well um, in cold, wet, and mud. Those are the three things that I don't do well in. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. I did. Oh, go ahead. 
Sir, I was just going to say that brought up a couple of different questions. I know that this is your thing, Joseph, but I was going to ask a couple of questions. First of all, how many times did each of you guys change your shoes and socks? And then second of all, how many times did any of you guys like actually stop and like sleep or take breaks during the your race? Like that, I'm interested in hearing that stuff. I changed my shoes every time except the last loop um, because um, my uh friend that was pacing me told me I didn't have time or I would have changed them again. Um, but I changed shoes and socks every loop and I did not sleep at all. Um, I didn't take any naps. I, uh, you know, I had to sit down to change my shoes, you know, and like relube my feet. And that was the only time that I took a break. Yeah. I was very similar to you, Tina. I, um, I changed my shoes and socks cause I'm still, I know some people can change just their socks. For me, I'm like, I might as well change them both if I'm sitting here. Um, so I changed my socks and shoes except for the, the fifth. I changed them before the fifth and then didn't change them again until after I was done with the race. But I changed them every time because really quick I realized foot care was going to be the name of the game. Right. So, um, But I didn't change the last time even though I was thinking about it because when I came across that line – Andy had a look of, I don't think this guy's going to be able to do it on his face. So <laughs> <laughs> I think he was really genuinely concerned. He even stopped me to make sure I realized that I only had like five hours and 30 minutes or whatever left or whatever it was. He could have said anything at that point. I can't, couldn't remember it anyways. But um, <laughs> so I didn't change. I just got, went to my crew tent, grabbed my new pacer and took off. So. Yeah, my game plan, if it was a dry year, I probably wouldn't have to do anything. Given all the rain, I was thinking, now nah, I only made it four laps. But it was going to be every two laps, socks, shoes, foot care, and then just a fresh pair for the final lap. So, like, new pair, new pair, one lap, new pair for the final but obviously, I only made it four laps. But switching those shoes and the socks, cleaning the feet, because the, the big kicker is not really that your feet were wet. It was all that, like the mud and all the sand from the mud. And that's where really you're going to get a lot of those blisters from. Yeah, I, like I said, I changed my socks pretty much every lap and um, switched out my shoes. We even brought a boot um, uh, dryer to be able to dry shoes if I wanted to wear the same ones, you know, I, if I let, if I had a pair that I really enjoyed um, wearing or that I liked wearing, I put them back on. Um, but I did not have any blisters and my feet, um, you know, did really well. Uh, the only thing was afterwards on Monday, uh, my feet were just a little bit swollen. So I had to take lots of walks to be able to get my blood circulating down there. Yeah, I definitely did get one good solid blister it was like kind of the in-between under of the pinky toe yeah and I, I i was moving along and all of a sudden i felt this pop and it took me down to the ground i'm like what the heck was that i took my shoe off the blister exploded yep there's just this gaping hole of blood and yeah. out of water <laughs> you know blister fluid i'm like oh it's not going to take you out of the game, but it's going to hurt for a mile till it numbs out. Yeah, I had that happen like around like mile 50. That was awesome. I only switched my shoes one time. I did the first three loops in the road, my road shoes, which side note, I ran one of the practice 
um, sessions that Andy had put out for the beginning of December. I did one full loop, actually, and some extra. So I had run the course before, and it, I, did, I did my road shoes, and it was absolutely gorgeous. It was perfect. No problems. So when I got out there for long haul um, race day, I was like, okay, well, I'll just use my road shoes. I, I, looking back on it, I can't believe that I made, I made it the first three loops with my road shoes. I should have definitely switched to my trail shoes earlier, but I switched to my trail shoes and I changed my socks. So after three loops, and then I did those ones for the last three. Um, and it was a game changer. Once I went into my, the trail shoes, um, going through the mud and stuff like that made it way easier. Yeah, I brought three pairs of trail and three pairs of road. I know, probably too many shoes. Um, but I never got into my road shoes because I didn't think they would handle it well enough. So I I actually, when I would change my shoes, I had brought newspaper, extra newspaper, so my crew would stuff new pa- newspaper into the shoes I just took off so I could put them on again later in the race. The, I just didn't. But I had run a training run on my own wearing road shoes and no issues whatsoever. It felt great. So. Right, right. I think that if it was normal conditions and we didn't have the mud, uh, road shoes are totally fine out there. But because of the terrain and all the mud, the trail shoes were definitely needed. I can't believe you wore road shoes. <laughs> <laughs> and I did it for three loops. I did yeah. it for the first 50 miles, y'all. I yeah. can't believe it either. <laughs> I, I can't believe that because, I mean, and honestly, if it was dry, that would have been okay. But, I mean, you were probably slipping all over the place wearing road shoes. All over the place. This is, once again, I'm a bit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I, wore, I, all- I only had one pair of trail shoes because I I had um, I did Colt forty five and ran it in road shoes and was fine. So I yep. only had one pair of trail shoes with me. So I wore those the first loop, and then they were so caked with mud. I switched into a pair of road shoes. So I did um, my first and last loop in my trail shoes, and the others were road shoes. Wow! I know. <laughs> That's kudos. I know that, yeah, I mean that mud. I I don't. I think you could have had cleats on, and it still wouldn't have. You know, it still would have been awful. For sure. Yeah, I was all Clifton's, which like obviously that's more of a kind of I guess soft road shoe type of thing. There's not like a trail. There's no lugs in the shoe, but I do think when you're going through mud when it's a rainy year. If you're walking through it, yeah, you're kind of going to slip and slosh around. But if you get a good shuffle where you can just kind of slide and glide your feet, you can move right through that mud. Well, there were times that I just ran right straight through the center of the mud puddle because the ground under the water was solid. Hadn't been yeah. torn up. So I tried to keep moving and I would just move through the, right through the water. Um, now I knew I'd be able to change my shoes out, so that's kind of maybe gave me a little bit of an advantage there. But I just was sinking in the mud, slipping, ankles and hips start to bother you a little bit with the different. I swear we must have doubled the width of some of that trail on us going around the puddles and stuff. So sometimes I just went right through the puddle if I knew it wasn't over knee deep and to keep moving. Yeah. So obviously, you know, we're talking about the course, but let's let's break it back down to the before we talk about, you know, the rest of the course, you know, loop by loop and whatever, but let's go into race morning. You know, we're all lined up, you know, what's going through your mind before we kick off and just go for it. 
Oh my gosh, we're about to run a hundred miles. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just had that nervous energy, like let's get going. Let's let's Absolutely. let's do that. Yes, let's yeah. do this. Yeah. 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 Nervous excitement. I did the I made the mistake of going in my head going, do you realize that tomorrow at this exact same time you will still be running? <laughs> right. <laughs> and that was not helpful. <laughs> I was actually thinking that like, like Wednesday or Thursday before the race. I'm like, can we just get to Monday already? Like, I just want this done and over with. <laughs> you know, I was trying to remind, like when you get on that line with all those guys and you're, you're towing the line with Harvey and all the rest of them, not that I was anywhere near Harvey or anything, but uh, you know, it's hard not to get sucked up into that, but typically I get sucked up into it. So I had to just, I had to really keep, Reminding myself, hey, don't get sucked up into the race excitement. You got a long ways to go. And so uh, for once in my life, I actually was successful at keeping myself at the right pace early on. So I will say that I, I was really thankful that my one of my running partners, Mark Palomar, who was trying to go for his um, fifth long haul, he was trying to get his 500 buckle, um, that he um, had said that he was going to stay with me. And so... He was with me through mile 65-ish. He ended up dropping around 67. But because, but because he was with me uh, for the first, like, 65 miles, um, I was able to keep a really great pace. Um, and just having somebody there with you that's just so experienced, he's done multiple, multiple hundreds, um, is just it's reassuring. It's great having a training partner and a friend um, to be with you, um, for all those miles. So that was really great. Um, both mentally, but also physically, he kept a really great, even pace intervals, all that. So that was really good. Yeah. I mean, lots of nerves, just knowing that it's going to be a really, really long day and night. Mm -hmm. Um, but knowing that, you know, I had so many people out there and knew a lot of people in support. It was also going to be a great day, a fun day. It's, it's always fun when you're surrounded by people. Right. Well, and I think that, like, uh, Evie, you were talking about earlier about how your neighbor was just saying so much stuff about being out there and the people and the support. I think that if you're not part of the running community, you, you don't really understand it. And then also to an even more extreme, the trail community, trail running community is even more awesome. Like, if if that's a, a you know, a grammatically correct thing to say. But um, the camaraderie, the familyhood, um, the just like no matter what aid station you were coming in, even if it wasn't your your stuff was set up there, everyone helps everyone out. Everyone is so encouraging. They have like you know they have a table set up with all this supplies that if you needed to, you can go and ask them for that, and they'll be more than willing to give it to you. Like everything was just goes above and beyond at these different events. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Lulu saved my knee out there. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, take me into the course. You know, we've already mentioned we had a lot of rain coming into it, you know, so there was definitely some mud on the course. But take me into that first loop. You know, each loop is like 16.7 ish miles, something like that. But how did loop number one go down? Um, I started out slow, just uh, walking a little bit of 
um, running to start. And that was kind of my plan just to start out slow. And when, you know, at first, you know, you don't get to that mud for a while and you're like, this is just really such a beautiful course. And then you get to the first mud and like, I like went around it, you know, cause I didn't, you know, I don't want to get wet feet, not knowing what was ahead of me. <laughs> so, um, um, and then just each time the, you know, you would come to that mud and it's like, oh my gosh, more? Is there more? <laughs> um, it was, you know, the fear of the unknown. And then, you you know, you don't know what's ahead of you. But it was, you know, it was still a, a beautiful course. And, um, you know, just so much fun being out there with everybody. I think the first loop was one of the most, was, was, our, was our fastest one, obviously, of the day. Um, yes. But um, I think it was kind of the unknown. Because you didn't know what the whole course um, was going to look and feel like um, compared to when I had ran it the month before, right? So, um, and you're also kind of get your bearings. I, you know, I had ran the course before, but once again, I didn't have it memorized. So the first loop, you're like, I don't really know where I'm at. Where, how far am I to the next thing? But by the time you get to the sixth loop, you're like, oh, I know that I'm going to see my people here. You know, I'm so far, like, you have the whole thing memorized by the sixth loop. Um, but the first one, you're still kind of getting the lay of the land. You know, where is everything? Um, so you're, it was the fastest because you have fresh legs. But on the other hand, you're also kind of unsure about where you're at physically on the course. I think for me, the, the first loop, um, it was slower, a little slower than what I, I had some time goals in my head that I thought I could hit. Boy, was I wrong after that first loop of seeing it. And I realized real quick that for me, it was going to just be a slugfest and I was just going to have to continue to trudge through that mud and um, just finishing the race was going to be a huge accomplishment as it is with any hundred. But on that day, it was definitely going to be a huge accomplishment to get to the end with the, in those conditions. And so I kind of had to let any preconceived notions I had to go out the window um, and just be ready to, to, sl sl to trudge <laughs> on through the mud and, you know, that type of thing. So. I agree, Russ. Once we, you know, got through that first loop and saw just how, um, how, you know, the, the mud was going to slow us down all of our, ideas on what our time might be <laughs> went went right out the window well once i saw that little boardwalk I, I was i looked forward to that boardwalk every single loop yeah that little boardwalk actually kind of scared me a little bit because when we first the first couple loops it was kind of wet yeah uh, basically it was like penguin walking across that thing because yes. i was like i'm the i'm the coordinated guy that would fall off the side of this thing so well, and then that boardwalk in the middle of the night with your headlamp, it actually gave you a little bit of like vertigo too. And I don't know, just because I was bigger than most out there, but that it also had a little uh, movement to it that I didn't really care for. It's so funny, Joseph, to hear that you look forward to that, but then other people are like, oh no. So it's so funny how like everyone has things that they look forward to on the course and other things that they're like, oh no, that, you know, I don't look forward to this. So, like, I had a love-hate for, I called it, like, the, the tree tunnel, which was out on, I, I started calling it the campground loop. It's the one where you left camp and you came back into camp. Um, I think it was, like, the 5.5-ish mile loop. 
um, I loved that section um, when you're walking along the creek and it kind of is almost like a tree tunnel kind of ish. But in that area, though, it was really rocky. And so the rocks could be slippery. Um, the rocks could poke your foot and stuff like that. But also it was really pretty. So it was one of those I'm like, I really like it over here. But on the other hand, it's really, really rocky. So, it, you know, pros and cons. I was the opposite because I knew that I was an out and back. I'm like, oh, my gosh, where's the timing, Matt? Yeah, <laughs> I know. There were a couple times I thought, where on earth have, have I missed it? How could I have gotten lost on this? But that yeah. timing, Matt, <laughs> should have already, I should have already passed it. Well, you know, I I started not liking a lot of the outbacks because I kept, I know a lot of people complain about them, but those Kagala lamps just kept blinding me. Yes. And just like, I would start to see kind of like I was staring at the sun, those spots and stuff. And so I was like trying to duck my head away and not, and still be able to watch my feet without being blinded by them. And so the out and back areas kind of, or where we cross paths became a point that I didn't really care for, but. I love being behind somebody with a Kugawa. <laughs> yeah, that's a great place to be. Yes. <laughs> well, I have one of those lights and there is definitely etiquette to having those lights. So I always tried to put my hand over the majority of the lights when someone was coming towards me, but it's super nice to have, especially with all that mud out there. Um, and you can just really see so much better with them versus a headlamp. Um, so I really, uh, I really like the Kogala lights. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I, I have a Kogala light that I bought specifically, Joseph, for your Skunk Ape Night Run. Um, and I used it for that. And it is so bright. But I switched it out and got the Ultra Aspire waste lamp. And I love that. Awesome. Yes. Ooh. I yeah, think my I big, that. I think the biggest issue I had with everyone in those, their headlamps, was that because I'm shorter than all the guys, they would come like running past you and like they're they're looking down on the trail, but like it's looking down on me. And so it's like in my eyes and I'm like, oh, I can't see anything. Gonna tell you though, every time I went into the porter potty, the walls were definitely moving. Um, and Chris was telling me that it was from all the headlamps and the lights just shining in our eyes and seeing, you know, the lights at nighttime that it looks like a kaleidoscope. I don't know if anybody else experienced that. Um, when they were going into the porter potties <laughs> with, uh, at nighttime. <laughs> Oh, you got lucky and actually got to use the porta potties. I was going to say, I'm like, I don't think I use the porta potties very much. <laughs> the only time I had to go, I had just passed the porta potties out to Barrett's, and I was like, oh, come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so you know, loop one goes down, loop two goes down. You're like a 50K into this thing, you know. How did that third loop go down? Joseph, I'm not. I, that might have been the loop that I uh, ran with you for a little while. I think um, so. I think so. And I was so grateful to see you because at that point, like I thought, this can't be right. I, I am. This has taken way too long. Um, and if you wouldn't have been there to reassure me, and you said, "Oh, that little wooden platform's right up here," uh, you came along at just the right time because I was really doubting myself. That was that was probably my my least favorite loop hmm. because 
I was feeling, you know, I was out there alone and it's dark and I was cold. And so it was, it was so good to run into you and be able to spend a little <laughs> bit of time with a familiar face to reassure me that I was on the right course. Hmm. I honestly think that was probably mentally my toughest loop hmm. uh, was that third loop because uh -huh. it was, I'm fighting to get to halfway, but it's still 50 miles to go. <laughs> right. Right. And so, um, for me, I think that was, that was kind of my, my toughest point. And I knew, you know, but I did know that, Hey, I get through this loop. I'm getting close to being able to pick up a pacer, that type of thing. And it really, and I was already hearing the, Hey, there's so many people that have already dropped out type, uh, uh, rumors and stuff like that, that I'm like, what am I doing? Still here with these guys dropping out like that. But um, after I got through that loop, uh, I got I got some food in me, and and that really kind of helped pick up my spirits. And around the fifty mile mark, I was still running with Mark, and then we had also been running for a while with Laura Cole, and um, we were cutting up. We were having a blast. We were joking about everything. We were in really good spirits. So uh, for me at the halfway point, I was in really good. I was in really good spirits. We were having a blast. We were having a blast out there, guys. <laughs> <laughs> my third lap. So the tail end of my third lap after you go out on that, um, you know, where the uh, timing mat was over where the aid station or our crew spot where we got to see them twice. Um, that's where I should have changed my clothes and I should have gotten warm um, because when I came back from that, that's when I was absolutely freezing. And um, that's also when my husband was contemplating pulling me off the course as well um, because he said that he's never seen me the way that he saw me. And uh, my daughter, too, said that she almost threw up because she was just very, very nervous of the way that I looked um, just because I was really, really cold and out of it. And I think just overly uh, tired as well. But that's the point where um, I don't know if you guys have been watching me on Instagram or Facebook, but I've been doing what the buckle questions. So people keep sending in questions for me to answer. And uh, the first question I led off with was uh, Mike Alberts was uh, watching or he was there helping crewing and then he paced a couple laps, a couple different runners. Uh, but he happened to be there at that moment in time taking pictures. And I um, had my first ever, ever in my whole entire life, Pepsi. So that was the point where Chris was like, give her a Pepsi. And I was like, wait, what? I've never had a Pepsi my whole entire life. I'm not going to start now. And <laughs> then I was like, well, I, I guess I'll trust um, that he knows what I need at this moment in time. I don't drink anything other than water and then during races, electrolytes. But obviously, I needed some caffeine. And I don't drink coffee or anything like that. So um, he just said, give me a Pepsi. Pepsi. So everybody was taking pictures and watching as I drank this Pepsi that gave me a pep in my step step for the next lap out. And uh, it did wonders. So uh, towards the end of that third lap going into my fourth lap, that's where 
Um, I kind of needed a little pick me up um, and a change of clothes and the big yellow jacket and gloves and hats and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, on laps five and six, I had Mountain Dew and I never drink Mountain Dew. But at the aid station two, that's what they had left. I don't know if it was in my head or not. Don't correct me if it isn't, but it like was jet fuel. <laughs> do the do, baby. <laughs> I took off running out. Well, I had to get, once I got through that mud, that hundred yards of mud or whatever it was, after I left the aid station, I took off running at the end of that fifth loop and all the way through my sixth loop. So I don't know, but it worked for me. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the big thing because, you know, you have loop four, loop five, you're cold, you're wet, you're, your feet are wet, you're tired, you know, 66, 67 miles into it. You know you only have one loop to go after that fifth loop. You know, take me into that final loop. You know, how'd that last loop go down? I had my husband with me on the final loop. Um, so that brought me so much joy to be with him and to have him finish um, that last lap with me. I appreciate it, uh, you know, all of my pacers and um, just finishing with him. My daughter actually wanted to come out and run four miles, but I told her that it would be miserable for her because we all know what the last four miles was of that race. Um, so I just told her to wait for me at the finish line. Um, but Chris and I, you know, he's like, if I'm out here with anyone, I'd, I'd rather it be you than anyone else at that point in time going in that mud. Um, he had run a couple um, different laps with different people and stuff, one with his brother. So he knew what we were going through and stuff. Um, but not until he went through it himself. And he said that he wished we all would have told him what the course was like, because he definitely would have told us all to slow down and uh, walk that portion of the course for sure. Um, so that was the last lap. I knew that it was the last one. I was super excited um, passing people, um, you know, and crossing and stuff and getting excited for them and for myself. Um, seeing people that were like, oh my gosh, I think Daisy, you said, Evie, I thought you were done. <laughs> and, you know, if, if everything went as planned and what I, you know, if I would have had the race that I wanted to run, I definitely would have been done by that point in time. But, you know, you have to pivot and, and make adjustments to your plan. And, you know, I had three goals for that race. I only reached one of the goals. Um, but I'm super proud of finishing the race. Um, I felt like I gave it my all. I did everything that I could have done. I left it all out there and I crossed the finish line knowing that I had nothing more to give. Um, and so I was uh, proud of, you know, my 29 minutes that it took me to complete that 100, my first 100 miles. So um, I was proud and proud to finish with my husband, Chris, and then also to see all of my Renfluent friends and other friends at the finish line as well. Loop five, I think what it was, uh, I'm sure my slowest loop, if I would yeah. go back and check. Same. Yeah, and, same. Um, yeah. you know, I, like I said earlier, I didn't get that boost of energy when the sun came up. And by when I went into the, um, the aid station, that boots and saddle aid station on loop five, um, Andy said, how are you doing? And I said, I'm fading fast. <laughs> I, I, I am 
I am fading. And um, I sat down and the aid station fixed me a big bowl of warm pasta with tomato sauce on it. And I swear it brought me back to life. So I felt so much better after that. Finished five and then six. Um, I ended up, my sixth loop was much faster than loop five. And I, I barely slid in under the, the um, 32 hour cutoff. So, but I made it. Well, you had the Energizer Bunny as your pacer for that last loop, so that definitely helped. Yes, <laughs> that helped. <laughs> so I, um, I'm going to kind of talk about five and six. So somewhere in the middle of five, I did lose my pacers. Um, I thought that I was going to have pacers for farther into the race, and it just didn't happen. So I went out and did, I call it the long, the long loop for five, and I did that by myself. That was my slowest. Um, like we already said earlier in, in this podcast. Um, but then I called my husband as I was getting close to the start line to start my sixth loop. And, um, I called my husband and I said, you need to have my oldest son. He's 16 and a half. And so we had all three of our cars out there because we actually all ended up getting out to the park at different times on Saturday. That's a different story. But anyways, um, I said, hey, have our son um, drive over to the start line, and I, I'm going to have him pace me for the three, three and a half, I think it is, back to campground. And then um, we had one pair of trail shoes for the two of my husband and my son, and they were like the same size. So I said, when I get into campground, switch the shoes, and then I was going to make my husband do the campground loop, which is about five and a half-ish um, with me. So then I, I would have them with me. Um, just because I had just got out of that last long loop all by myself and I needed somebody. So I picked up my son at the very start of loop six and then the sun was starting to come up, um, which was, you know, just a lifesaver and it did give me so much energy. I know Tina, you said it didn't for you, but <laughs> for me it did. And then also just the fact that I was picking up my son, he, it was really great to talk with somebody and have, um, somebody, I don't know if I've said it before, but I am 100% a social runner. So being by myself is painful. <laughs> um, so, and then I got into the campground, um, switched partners. Um, my husband jumped in once again, my husband is not a runner. Um, but he said, I, he's going to do whatever he needs to do to help me get there. So it was really great to spend the next however many miles with my husband. The sun was up at this point. We got to do the tree tunnel, which was once one of my, the, just along that river or along the Creek. It was really pretty. Um, come back into campground um, where I dropped everybody. They were going to pack up all the campground stuff and I was going to go head out to do the last of the long loop, go to the mud all by myself. So then they could pack, pack up camp and then they could see me at the finish line. So logistically um, it all made sense. Everything worked out. Um, that's just like, you know, a God thing. Um, but um, I noticed that in the last loop, anytime that I came into aid station, anytime I came into campground or even to Barrett's, aid station, which by the way, just a huge shout out to them. They are a huge party out there in the middle of nowhere. I love their aid station. Um, they just went above and beyond, but I noticed that in that last loop, I was very calorie deficient. I was needing, um, I was, by the time I would come into the aid stations or anything, I was just trying to consume as much calories as I could. I could feel, um, my stomach was actually growling. There was points of the race that my stomach was growling and I was like, Oh, I'm behind calories. So when I got out the very last time to Andy Barrett's, um, boots and saddle aid station, 
I just went into them. I said, I need as many calories as I can get right now. Like I'm starving. And they actually took a cup and they put like three big, huge scoops of peanut butter, just straight up peanut butter. And I just ate a bunch of peanut butter um, just to try to get some high calories, some, you know, fats and protein and stuff in me. Um, and it was awesome. It was exactly what I needed to finish the race. So, um, and then I, you know, I got in and it started raining. I think Tina, you probably were out there and it started raining. Yes. yes. I finishing. thought you have got to be kidding me. Yes. Of course we're going to have freezing rain. Of yes. course we are. <laughs> so as I'm coming into the finish that last mile or so, I said, I just had to chuckle because earlier the day before Laura Cole was saying, well, we're not going to have any rain. And I said, never say never. <laughs> so um but that was me for the last loop and um and it was I think probably you Tina were doing the same thing it was that numbers game like okay I gotta do these last miles this fast in order to get in under 32 okay I need to do these miles this fast to get under 31 okay like it was starting with like a you play a numbers game and you're like how much time do I have left how much time except my pacer was doing that for me because I at that point I couldn't add two plus two <laughs> So um, Kim, Kim was rattling off constantly. Um, this mile was that. You've got to do this to make it. And yeah, thank goodness for her. She has a math mind and uh, could, could keep us on track. That final loop, I actually probably felt like I had more energy than I did just about any other loop. Um, when I was coming through the start finish, um, as I was finishing the fifth loop, um, Andy basically stopped me and my pacer and said, hey, you have, uh, he's like, you have five hours and something left to be able to finish this. Are you going to make it? And I said, I will be here. I will be back. In the all way off in the distance, my crew chief, Mike Martinez, I could hear him yelling, don't stop to talk. Get over here. <laughs> and, he's yelling. and if you, anyone who knows Mike, he has a megaphone, but he doesn't really need the megaphone. And so he's yelling. And he said, oh, I come up. I had already predetermined that. I was just going to go. I didn't need anything. I would fuel up. I would fill up my water bottle and stuff when I got to the aid station at the campground versus my crew area. So it didn't slow me down. So I basically kept moving through. And soon as my, soon as my new pacer was there with me, I'm like, all right, we're not going to have a time distance. We're just going to run from flagging to flagging. And that's basically how we got around. Um, she, Figured out what motivates a fat boy, and uh, she slow dripped me food and calories all the way around the course. Um, I've been eating oranges, but the aid station at camp was or at the campground was out of them. But they had cherry tomatoes of all things. So he's like, "Here, take the bag of cherry tomatoes." So my crew chief gave me a cherry tomato <laughs> every quarter of a every half mile and she gave every on every mile she made me take a drink of this bottle of coke she was carrying around with her um but it worked and it kept me moving and we ran pretty much the whole way through until we got to the mud area and then we ran from mud puddle to mud puddle just coming through and i was actually at one point i looked down and or she looked down at her watch and my watch died around mile 78 and she's like you realize we're running like a nine minute mile which I know for some people isn't fast, but that would be still fast for me when I'm feeling hundred um, percent. So I just kind of got more and more excited as I was realizing how close we were getting. And then as soon as I made that last cross over the road where the uh, Florida game warden was, 
that's when I really got excited. And I think it was right around in that area, just before that, maybe when I caught up with Tina and uh, her pacer, Kim. And so we, we started. It was so nice to see you right at the end, Russ, to see a familiar face and to, to see you. I was so happy about that. No, I felt the same way. And I've, we slowed down long enough to want to make sure give some encouragement as we passed anyone we passed. And then we took off and pushed through the end because I wanted to make sure we got through and there was time for them to be, for everyone to be ready for when uh, Tina and Kim came through. So my last loop was actually feel, felt really good. I don't know about anybody else, but I was so dreading that death march that you hear about the last 20 miles or so of a hundred miler that I may have left a little more in the tank than I should have. But in the end, it was a good experience that last loop. So I could see myself eventually taking on another one. So yeah, and eventually, you know, you crossed that finish line. You know, you made it all the way there. How did it feel to cross that timing, Matt? For me, I was relieved, but yeah, I don't know if it all sunk in. To be honest with you, at first I'm like, I feel like I should still be moving or doing something. Um, but my crew had already tore everything down, and you know, and when he handed me the belt buckle and. I sat in a chair that I think that's when it sunk in and what it, what had been accomplished. And, and it didn't fully really, even then it didn't really fully sink in. It was just like, Oh, this is another race until, you know, I got home and my wife and kids were all super excited. And, you know, and then I was getting lots of congratulations from people on Facebook and text messages and stuff. And I think that's what it really sunk in that, Hey, normal people don't really do this sort no. of thing. And right. <laughs> they don't really care how fast I did it in. It's just amazing to them that somebody would actually do it and finish it, you know, that type yeah. of thing. I think for me, overall finishing was just very overwhelming. Um, I actually getting kind of choked up even just now thinking about it. Um, just setting that goal and doing something that's extraordinary. Like a hundred miles in under thirty-two hours, y'all. That's crazy. That's incredible. And just thinking that, like, I did it. I did it. Like, just that sense of accomplishment. And I know that um, for me, um, I try not to be prideful, right? You want to try to be humble, but just you do have this sense of pride that I can't believe like I just set out to do that and I finished it. And then later when you come to find out that like 50% of the people that, that signed up for the race didn't finish. And I'm like, I finished that thing. I finished that thing when 50% of the people didn't finish. That's crazy. Um, I just, I was, I was a bag of just a mess. I was, I was in tears I sat there and cried for I don't know how long. Um, partly because you're in pain, <laughs> but <laughs> partly because of just the emotional. Uh, I I was just so thankful. I was I just I was I was blown away. Um, if you can say that about yourself, can you say that you're being you're blown away by yourself? I don't know, um, but just it was it was incredible, incredible. 
when I crossed, it was, um, I mean, I was, you know, the last few miles after you left that boots and saddle aid station, knowing that you didn't have to go through that mud again, mm. um, you know, it was such a good feeling knowing that like, I am going to finish this thing. And so I was just so happy the last mile or two. And I, and I got to see Russ out there going to finish. And, um, so I was just happy. And then when I crossed and Andy handed me that buckle and gave me a hug, I could feel myself just getting very teary eyed. <laughs> and it was, it kind of surprised me that I, you know, that that was my reaction. And then, um, my friends, um, from Ohio that were there, Dave and, um, Lisa came back many, many hours. Uh, they were there crewing Harvey. They came back many hours, like 11 hours after Harvey finished to, to see, to watch me finish. And I, you know, thought how, how sweet that was of them. <laughs> and I just cried about that too. And so, um, it was just very, um, uh, it was very sweet, I think. And I just felt, um, I think the emotion I felt was like satisfied, like, you know, hmm. I, I did this hard thing. So I love just being able to finish um, that lap with my husband and then also seeing um, Malia, my daughter, at the finish line um, because I want to uh, show her that she can do hard things and, um, you know, you can get down to your darkest, deepest point um, and still come back from that and cross the finish line. And I told her that the buckle was for her because um, she got to see me at my worst and she got to see me at my best when I crossed the finish line. And Andy, when he gave me a big hug in the buckle, he said, that little girl is watching you over there. And it's the coolest thing that um, you can do for her, you know, because she can see um, that you can do anything. So I was just... Um, very full of joy um, because of just my family being there and the Run Fluent team and all of my friends and just being proud of what we all accomplished, but just myself as well. So, yeah, and it's like no matter if you got the green buckle, the silver buckle, you know, it's crazy when you look back on it. You know, you ran for an entire day, you ran for more than a day. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy to think about that. I still can't believe it. Like, I, I look back and just, um, you know, wow, I really did that. So still impressing myself. <laughs> I know for me, it was, for me, uh, the reflecting piece was huge. And, you know, as my daughters have been, were, got home and they were so excited about me finishing I don't, I, I don't know about it, most people on this call, but, you know, my family, very loving family, but physical activity was not, uh, was not something that they really did. You know, it was everything they could do just to work and all those types of things, you know, food, everything revolved around food. So, you know, we're all heavier than average and those types of things. And for my daughters to see, see me, at my age, finish something like that, finish such a monumental task. Not that I'm old, I don't want it to sound like that, but my age lines up where my daughters are all young teens, so they're very influential at this point. So I, for what what they got to see me, not just accomplish, but truthfully, like I, they've asked me a billion times probably when I go out for a run in the, 
early in the morning or in the heat of the summer in Florida. And they're like, why are you going to do that? Why are you going to do that? Them seeing the discipline it takes to finish something like this and to train for something like this, I think it's probably the biggest reward of all. Yeah, that kind of goes with uh, what Andy told Evie. Absolutely, it does. So I guess, you know, we can kind of close it with, you know, the classic, the good, the bad, and the ugly out there. Mm. You know, for the 2024 Long Haul 100, what was the good, the bad, and the ugly? Um, the good, I think, was just the, um, you know, the, the friendship and the amount of support that, you know, strangers had for you, you know, everybody out there is, it's not so competitive. It's just everybody wanting everybody to finish and everybody to do their best. I think that's the, the, the best part of ultra running. Um, so just to see that, you know, the friendships out there on the course, um, the bad, you know, the mud, <laughs> there's no way around it. It, it was bad. Um, and um, the ugly, probably the mud again. <laughs> I definitely agree that the good was the, the support of this community. And I think a lot of times when people think ultra running communities, they tend to think out West, they think Colorado, places like that. Mm -hmm. But they really they really came to Florida and explored all the ultra races and the community. I would put this community up against any of them. And that was a big part of the reason for choosing long haul for my first 100 mile attempt. Um, the, the bad, I would say, uh, I would say, I guess the bad could, depending on how you look at it, you know, 16 almost 17 mile loops for a for something like this can be a little long because you're you're out there for five six hours yeah so it can be that in itself can be a challenge for this kind of thing at least for me it was like i'm leaving my crew i won't be back for six to seven hours or not six seven but five to six hours and so i just had to be a little more thoughtful about what i did and that was a big part of the reason that I changed my shoes as much as I did. Um, the ugly would definitely say it's it's the mud because I've ran that course when it was, you know, a little rainy but dry enough, and it was an awesome course. Yeah. I, think you're in the, I think the winners are in the 14s easy if – I don't want to say that's easy. That's not easy, but they're in the 14s on a dry day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the good is I'm going to have to agree with – uh, Tina on that with friends and strangers helping strangers and just the camaraderie, the community, um, having our nine run fluent out there as well, just crossing paths. And also I uh, got to pace with Dan, one of our clients, or uh, Dan, one of our clients for a little bit. And, um, you know, having Malia out there just seeing the whole process as well having my husband there to support me and uh just just friends on the course and the trail uh even though it was muddy um I love being on the trails maybe not that one but <laughs> the trail itself <laughs> um but yeah the bad and the ugly were definitely the miles of mud over and over and over again so and being cold and wet um, I'll have to add to that as well so 
Um, okay, so I'm going to say the good was, on top of what you guys were saying, I'm going to say the good was finishing, getting that buckle, getting it done. That was the best part of the whole entire experience um, is when it was done. Um, the bad for me, um, I had um, some pretty bad chafing oh. in some un unmentionable parts. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> for fairly early on, which is very unlike me, because once again, I've done a million marathons. Um, and so I kept applying all kinds of different stuff, trying to get it to help, and it would not go away. Um, I was going to say something gonna... on here, but you'll probably just have to edit it because it's probably a little bit too much TMI. But um, <laughs> it was very painful to go to the bathroom because of said chafing. Um, so that was actually pretty bad for me. Um, but then come the next day, I was totally fine. So go figure. And then the ugly would be the mud. There's my good, the bad, and the ugly. But And I agree with um, Russ. That course is a very beautiful, such a beautiful course. Any other time of the year when it's not so wet and muddy. Um, but it just was absolutely ugly for this year for long haul. <laughs> Definitely for this year. We're not saying for future years, but yes, at least this year. <laughs> for this year. And you know, I guess we'll you know we'll close it out with this final question. You know, what advice would you give for someone? You know, for them attempting their first 100 mile. I would, for me, I would say it's kind of twofold, but um, consistency is key. In, in the prep and lead up, one run doesn't make or break you because sometimes we, those of us who follow run plans get that thought in our head, you miss a long run, it's over type <laughs> mentality. And I would say sometimes less is more. Training, your, all your runs should have a purpose and you need to understand those purposes because when I picked up a coach at the end of September, the first thing she did was cut back my mileage because – she looked at everything and she said, you're doing too much mileage to stay healthy. So, and I got more specific about hitting paces and test and made sure I understood every run. And that made a big difference for me. I agree with that being, um, the, I think the consistency and cross training and, and then just do it. Don't be afraid to try it. I agree with all of that. And then also just knowing that you're going to go through highs and lows and mm -hmm. you're going to have um, fun and you're going to probably cry and mm -hmm. hurt and you just have to um, put, keep moving and put one foot in front of the other and uh, don't stop and don't quit. I think you guys touched on all the things I was going to say. So um, the only thing I can say is enjoy the journey. Enjoy the training. Don't get overly stressed out during the training. And then come race day, the race day for me is always the celebration of all the hard work that you've put in. So enjoy it. Don't forget to stop and take a look around at God's beauty as well. Mm. Mm. Are you planning on doing another one? Oh, yeah. I, I have a feeling we all are. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I crossed the finish line, my husband even asked me, he's like, so you're going to do another one? I was like, never. <laughs> now, now we're eight days out. And I'm like, maybe, maybe in a couple of years. I was oh. definitely saying absolutely not. And I qualified for Western States too. And I was like, please do not put my name in the, <laughs> in the running for that. I don't want to go. 
But now, like looking back, um, I had three goals. I only met, met one of those goals. So that's kind of what's kind of hanging over my head is, um, you know, those two other goals that I wanted to achieve. Um, but there's no guarantee that that course is going to be dry. Yes. There's no guarantee yes. that it's going to be uh, warm. There's no guarantees. So that's where I'm kind of stuck, you know, um, because that race does sell out and you have to sign up. And it's not something that you can just say, OK, I'm, I'm going to sign up and the weather looks great. So I'm good to go. Um, you have to sign up. You have to be all in. You have to train. And it doesn't matter what the trail is or what the weather is. You you paid for it. So you got to go do it, you know. Um I know that I'll do a couple of things differently the next time, um, but you know there there isn't a guarantee on the weather or the the course condition. So I don't know if uh, I'm still questionable there. Same, same. <laughs> but for I, I just think that any hundred that I'm going to do, there's going to be something awful about it. It's going to be mud. <laughs> I, I mean, there is. It's going to be mud. It's going to be too hot. It's going to be gale force winds or cold. I, I, I just think that kind of prepared us to, to be ready that every 100 is going to have something awful in it. Yeah. And, and who else signed up for it? Because it was an easy 100. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the flat, I, it, a flat 100 is what I was looking for. Right. Right. Yeah. There's always one more. There's always another one. And I'm one yeah. for eight in the hundred mile. There's always another one. To shoot There's for. always. Yeah. <laughs> Joseph's like, I got to go back. Redemption again. <laughs> no, I definitely will. I'll definitely do another one, but I don't think I'll ever become one of those people that tries to do like multiples a year type situation. Cause truthfully it takes up so much of your life training for it. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, maybe. Yeah. Agreed. Well, and for me currently, my current goal right now is to get all 50 states and I'm on state 29. So that's where like my focus is, is trying to get the 50 states done and then potentially move on to the seven continents. So is my goal to train for another hundred miler right now? Nah, I want to try to get some more states done. Um, so, I mean, like, I think that's where is that? Like, what are my goals for this year? Is my goal for this next year to do another hundred miler? Yeah, I don't think so. So my next goal is the 24-hour immolation at Trident. And then um, next year, 2025, Chris and I want to go to speed. So we want to PR some 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons. So I think that's what we're going to dabble into. Mm, mm. The only thing I think about long haul for next year, by next year, I'll be 60. And I can have a pacer every step of the way. Oh, so, <laughs> so that's, you know, that's something to think about. Now, <laughs> wait a second. Explain this to me. You can have a pacer once you're 60? Yes. Really? Yeah. If you're not 60, it's only the last two loops. But if you're 60 and over, you can have a pacer the whole time. What? Yes. How, yeah. did, how did I not know this? Because you're not anywhere close to 60, that's why. <laughs> I was right. I told Joseph when we were walking in the middle of the night, I said, you know, I'm five months away from having a full-time pacer. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, man. Well, hey, this was awesome. Thank you, Joe, for having me on. Appreciate it. Thank you, Joe. Heck yeah. And I mean, you know I'll be back. 
And there we have it for some stories from the Long Haul 100, from the 100 Mile Rookies. They got those belt buckles. You know, it's always great to hear about those first 100 mile experiences, you know, and how those miles went down. It's definitely never easy. And oftentimes you're just entering into the unknown. You know, hope you enjoyed the chat. We've got another long haul chat with your race leaders, you know, the champion as well. And we'll have another stories from the Long Haul 100, so a third chat for this year's race. And hey, if you're looking for another 100 miler to do, check out the Skunk Ape 100 on April 27th. That's out in Ocala. And registration for the Tampa Bay 100, that opens on February 18th. So hey, mark your calendars. And, and yeah, until next time, happy trails. Happy trails.